0: I'm Devorah vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Yes. Good morning, everybody. Chodesh Tov. Chodesh Tov.
1: Chodesh tov. Chodesh
0: tov. We have just begun Chodesh Nissan. Right. Month of Miracles. And actually, we are told that this Chodesh, Nisan, is really the one that fuels all of the chadashim of the entire year. It's really like everything else. Every other Chodesh is like a spinoff of Chodesh Nisan because it's the power pack. Thanks, was my bubbies. Um, it was a, it's the power pack of renewal, the concept of renewal that we have every Rosh Chodesh. But Rosh Chodesh Nisan, because this was the month where we got the mitzvah of the new moon, right? Chodesh Hazel Lachem, which is considered to be the first mitzvah in the Torah given to the Jewish people while they were still in Mitzrayim. This Chodesh is the power pack. It's the beginning of the year. Now, we know that Tishrei is also the beginning of the year, but Tishrei recounts the creation of the world and Nisan, which is also called the beginning of the year recounts the beginning of the Jewish people, the Jewish people becoming a nation. Um, anyway, the Jewish people becoming a nation, because of that was the time that we were born, leaving Egypt and taking ourselves to Har Sinai to become Hashem's special people, to receive his Torah and live as a light onto the nations. We can see you, honey. Anyway, um, so I want to give this class actually for Rabbi Wallerstein, who um, I borrowed much of the material from. Rabbi Wallerstein is unwell, for those of you who know him, and he should have a rufu a shalema. His name is Zechariah Shimon Hakohen Ben Sriel. It says Sriel. I never heard that name before. I'm not sure if it's Cyril, and it's a typo, or it's Sriel, but... Whatever, he should have a rafur shalema and be able to continue his wonderful work of teaching Torah. Very powerful teacher. If you've never heard him before, it's well worth it to go on Torah anytime and listen to Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein. Also, Aisha is offering a class on the Haggadah with Rabbi Posen that I would recommend you're also listening to if you have the time. That takes you through the Haggadah. Something that I was wanting to do today but I, I started, and we'll see if we have any time for it. Okay, I want to begin with a famous story of Reb Levi Yitzchak of Berditchev. Now, for those of you who know, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Berditchev was famous for always pleading the cause of the Jewish people and showing Hashem how truly wonderful we are. So it's Arab, uh, the early morning of erev of Pesach, and Rabi Levi calls in three of his Hasidim, and he gives them each a jaw. He tells Hasid number one, I want you to go out into all the homes of the Jewish people of Berdichev. And I want you to bring me back all of the Turkish tobacco that you can find. So the first Hasid is a little bit surprised by this request. He says, well, Rabbi, Rabbi you know that uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, against the law to have Turkish tobacco. And anybody caught with it will be thrown in jail. And Rabbi Levi says, It's okay, it's okay. You just go and bring me back all the Turkish tobacco. And Hasid number two comes forward and he says, Okay, you, I would like you to go through all the homes of Rudichov and I'd like you to bring me back all of the Persian silk that you can find in every Jewish well, home. number two also protests. He says, Rebbe, maybe you don't know, but Persian silk is contraband. Anybody caught with Persian silk in our possession, you know, it's it's a life sentence. Can you hear me okay? Yes? Is anybody on yes. Right here? Yes, yes. Okay, great. great, great. Oh, you know what? I didn't mute everybody. Maybe I should do that just in case. Um. Okay, chassid number three comes in and says, uh, yes, Rabbi, I'm ready to do your bidding. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Berdichev says to him, I want you to go throughout every home in Berdichev. Don't miss a home. And I want you to bring me back any speck of hamids that you find in any of their homes. So about an hour later, the first chassid returns with bags and bags of Turkish tobacco. The second chassid, a few hours later comes back with, Rolls and rolls of Persian silk, and finally the third chassid arrives, breathless, just an hour or so before the seder, and says, "Rebbe, I searched every single home in all of Berditchev, and I couldn't find not one cram, crumb, sorry, one crumb of chametz in any nook or cranny of the Jewish people's homes of Berditchev." To which Rebbe Lady of Yitzchav Yitzch of Berditchev looks up to heaven. And he says, You see your people? The Tsar has many officers. He has policemen at every border. But Turkish tobacco, they have. Persian silk, they have. But you, you have seven words in your Torah. That a Jew is not allowed to see, Hametz, not allowed to own Hamits in any of his borders, in any of his possessions. And so you see, these are your people, Hashem. You they obey from these few words in the Torah. Of you they have awe. Okay, so what I want to speak about today is the idea of Hametz again. I know for many of you, you've already started your cleaning. Traditionally, Rosh Chodesh is the time. Sorry. When we're supposed to begin our cleaning, or some people do, but for many people, they start long before that. We talked about that in our last class, right, that each of us have a different level of cleaning based on our home air, based on our customs, based on what we saw our mothers do, and we can't change that. And you're not allowed to make fun of anybody uh, over Pesach because Pesach is a holiday. If you want to go crazy and be super machmir, go ahead and do that. As long as you don't fall asleep in your matzah ball soup. That's the only thing I have to say. Because then that's called overdoing. And every woman is obligated. I just want to mention this. Every woman is obligated. Uh, sorry. Um, to, to do the mitzvah. Sipur Yassias Mitzrayim. And all the mitzvahs of the evening. And so we really have to do be right rook. I mean wide awake. We really have to be present. Um, you know, Rabbi Gamliel in the, in the Haggadah says, if you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah, of Pesach, Matzah, and Maror, then you haven't done the mitzvah of the Seder. So it means that number one, we have to be sitting at the table. Number two, it's a wonderful thing to read through the Haggadah with everybody else in English, if you don't understand the Hebrew. And number three, because we were also slaves in Egypt, obviously we women came out together with the men. We have the same mitzvahs of the evening of, number one, eating matzah, which, by the way, the eating of matzah is a mitzvah on Pesach night. It's not a mitzvah the rest of Pesach, necessarily, although the Vilna Gaon said it is very meritorious to eat as much matzah bray for breakfast with cinnamon. And ch- no, he didn't say that, but to eat and eat and eat as much matzah as you want during... Uh, those seven days in any form that, you know, makes it palatable and delicious. And um, so again, the real mitzvah of eating the matzah is Seder night, and that's a mitzvah for all of us. Okay, one more caveat, you don't have to sit through the entire Seder, you know, maybe you are busy in the kitchen, maybe you are serving, but you do have to be there for those, what? For the important parts, like, for example, uh, Pesach, Matzah, and Maror. Okay, so back to this idea of what is so terrible about chametz. And this is a uh, sheer that I listened to from Rabbi uh, Wallerstein, He should have a refuah Shalema. The Torah says four times not to eat chametz, otherwise your soul will be cut off. We spoke about this, the idea of kares. We have this, uh, it says also, if you eat on Yom Kippur, it's also the punishment is kares, being spiritually cut off from the Jewish people, which is considered to be the most severe of all punishments. But the question we have to ask ourselves, number one, is why do we eat matzah? So I'm sure all of you know the answer to this, because the people carried the dough in a sack over their shoulders as they were leaving Egypt. And they baked the dough into matzahs because they were thrown out of Egypt and the dough did not have any time to rise. So what does this have to do with chametz? Why can't we have chametz on Pesach just because their dough that didn't have any time to rise turned into matzah? You know, because uh, you know, if a person has chametz, they're cut off from the whole Jewish people. Whereas if you light a fire on Shabbos, as I mentioned last week, you don't get nearly as bad a punishment. So eating chametz is worse than being Michal Shabbos? And the answer is yes. Now we have a special mitzvah on the Seder night to tell our children. To tell our children the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim. And before we can even get to the Seder, we have to get rid of this chametz. We can't see it. We can't own it. We're told over and over and over again, this in the Torah. Another example of the severity of chametz. If somebody put some chazir in your fridge, you would have no avera at all over Pesach if you saw it. But if you see chametz in your fridge, then it's a sin. Okay, we also have the idea while we're telling over the story of Sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim going out of Egypt. We have all the ideas of the four sons, the manishtana that we ask, the afikomen, and all of these, um, pro- I won't say props, but all of these events that happen in the Seder, the main reason is to keep the children awake. Right? The Manishtana, we choose the youngest child at the table who's been practicing and practicing and practicing. And he gets up and he says the Manishtana. And of course, the entire Seder is in this question and answer form. Because we want the children. Number one, we really have two mitzvahs of the evening. The evening is to tell ourselves the story of how I went out of Egypt. But it's also to give over the story to our children. And for them to understand that this is part of our, not just part, but this is a foundational idea of being a Jew and how we were born as a nation. So we stay up. We want our children to stay up the whole Seder so that they can hear the story of how we went out of Egypt. Now, the question is, why don't we stay up all night of Shavuos and talk to our kids about how we got the Torah?
1: But rather it's on Pesach that we stay up all night and we talk about the matzah. So I want to tell you a story about Rav Noam Eli Melech and Rav Zisha.
0: So I'm not sure when this happened exactly. But basically there was a blood libel that was going on. And they were accused of a blood libel. And Rav Noam Elimelech was thrown into a cell, a teeny room, eight by eight. And Rav Zisha starts crying hysterically. And they're in this cell with other Polish prisoners. This was somewhere in Poland. And the Noam Elimelech gets very upset that Rav Zisha is crying. Because he says, you can't cry like this in front of the Goyim. This is a terrible thing to be doing because you're showing a lack of the Muna when you cry in front of them. Why was he crying? Because in the corner of the room, there was a pail that was being used as a bathroom for all of the prisoners. And he knew, obviously, the halacha is that if in four, that if you are in four amos, which is not very much of human waste, you're not allowed to make a bracha or daven. And he explained, that's why I'm crying. He explained to the Noam Ali Melech, of Noam Ali Melech, that's why I'm crying. So Rav Noam answers him, he says, that's not a reason to cry, that's a reason to dance. Because it means that every second that we're in prison, we're keeping the halacha, the halacha that you can't daven and you can't learn. Every second that means that we're not doing, we're not making a bracha, we're not davening, every second it means we're doing a mitzvah. So Rav stops crying and he says, you're right, let's dance. So they literally pick up the pail, the story goes, and they start dancing with the pail of waste. Now, the Polish Goyim who are in jail with them see this in jail, and they don't know what to do, but they start dancing too. And they say to themselves, you know, maybe this is the way the Jews the Jews serve their God. Because actually, in the history of ancient times, and it appears in the Torah, there was a certain idolatry called the Baal P'or. Where they actually defecated in front of the idol and this was part of the worship so you know it had a precedent to it so they said maybe this is what they do so meanwhile they're dancing and the jews are dancing and they're holding up this pail of waste and the guards see this and are very disturbed by it they, and they say what is everybody so happy about so the one polish gentile goy criminal says, well, it seems that as long as there's waste in this pail, the Jews are happy. That's how they serve their God. So the Polish guard says, really? Well, give that pail to me because I'm going to put a stop to this. And he cleans out the pail. And he says, and let me know anytime anybody goes into this pail. So Rabbi Wallerstein says, when we say the words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu, we're saying, wait a second. For those of you who listen to my Shema class, we know that we have the name of the Shem that connotes din, din, judgment, and we have the name of the Shem that connotes mercy, rachamim And we say that they're both one. So Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu, we say, one second, is Hashem din or is he rachamim? And what Rabbi Wallerstein explains to his story is it's all rachamim. The same God that brings babies into the world, is the same God that takes people out of the world. Whether it's Din or it's Rachamim, it's Echad. It's always Echad. Whether you can daven because the room is clean or you can't daven because the room is dirty, it's all the same thing. So back to Hametz on Pesach. Why can't you have Hametz on Pesach? Matzah, we understand, is in memory of what we ate. We understand that we eat matzah to, you know, get into the story, to relive the idea that we left Egypt in haste, right? Matzah represents poor man's bread, the food that they ate while they were still in Egypt. It also represents the bread of freedom, because again, we were rushed out of Egypt with only the dough on our backs. So, okay, we understand why we have to eat matzah, but why can't you have chametz on Pesach? What's wrong with chametz? We eat maror on pesach to remember the bitterness, but we're still allowed to eat other vegetables. Why is it such an aberrant to eat chametz and not even be able to see chametz? It says you should watch the matzos. And I explained last week that their shmurah matzah, which is really mehudar, which is the best matzah to eat, is matzah. Is, is wheat that was watched even before it was cut, from the time of its cutting until it gets to the bakery, the, the, the wheat gets to the bakery and it's mixed with water and it's baked within 18 minutes. It, it's watched to make sure that no water touches it until it gets to the bakery. Now, not everybody can get matzah like that. That's not always the way it's able to come to us. Sometimes it's watched from the time it was ground and we receive the kernels of the wheat from the other countries. And we watch
1: it then from the time that it was ground. So we're told that we have to watch it and watch it. Why are we watching it? What is this lashing of shmira that we have to watch
0: the dough? that it shouldn't become leaven, that the wheat kernel shouldn't get water on them and begin the leavening process. This dough needs a special Shmira, we're taught from the Sitra Achra. The Sitra Achra is another word for the Yetzir for the Satan. Hametz represents the Satan. Machmetzes is the word that's used, rising. And it's interesting, I've never heard this before, but it says that the same way that Adam and Chava were created as one androgynous being, the Nachash, which is considered the Satan, right? The snake in the story of the Garden of Eden was also created
1: male-female. Hmm, Female was on the back of the male. And the Satan, just
0: like the human being, was Zachar and nikeva This is from the Zohar. Her name, which we don't like to say, but I'm sure many of you have heard, and I'll spell it, since Rabbi Wallerstein spelt it, is L-I-L-L-I-T-H. Yes. And I didn't know that that was the source. That was the Nikeva part of the satan. So what does Hametz have to do with the satan? We left Mitzrayim. We had Matzah. So what does Hametz have to do with anything? Why is it even part of our Pesach preparation? Why can't we just eat matzah? Why do we have to get rid of the chametz? So we know that after Pesach is over, the Shabbos after Pesach, there's a custom to make shlitzel challah, right? People make a special challah where they put a key inside or they make the challah in the shape of the key. And this is a segula. This is supposed to be a good luck, if you like, but more than that, it's supposed to be a good omen for Parnassa, because the idea is that Hashem is the one who holds the keys to our success financially, materially, as He also holds the keys to rain, which represents Gashmiut, which represents materialism, plenty, right? Um, to children, to childbirth, and again to Parnassa. So if you take a frozen challah out of the oven because you decide you're not making it that week and you leave it out on your counter for three hours, it rises and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is representative of the satan because you don't have to do anything. It just rises on its own. And this is representative of Amalek. Um, Amalek says the world happened on its own. Everything is just Mother Nature. Stuff happens. And um, Amalek is the root of a godless world, of a world where people believe random. It just happened. You know, there's no order. As we know, Seder, which is order, is a very important, it, it is the is the basis of our evening. When we sit around the table, we have 15 different stages that we go through and there's an order. And before we even get to the Seder, what we're telling our children is that there is order in the world. This world is not chaos. This world is not random. Hashem has a plan for the world. There is an order to everything. But Amalek or Hamids comes to tell us the opposite. Hametz is the Satan and his wife. There is no no God is what it's saying. Because what is it saying? Again, flower rises on its own. The reason that your chayiv kare, spiritual excision from the Jewish people, is because... If you're eating chametz on Pesach, it's symbolic of the idea that you believe that there's no God and that the world happens on its own. And if you believe that the world happens on its own and there's no, or maybe you could even believe there's a creator of the world, but there's nobody who's involved in the world. There's no hashkacha pratit. There's no involvement of God in the daily happenings the moments the moment to moment of life right Hashem perhaps created the world and you know pushed a few buttons and the sun rises by itself everything is just coincidental it's all random molecules it's just evolution all of the different things that come to try and create confusion in the world right this is the idea of being high of kares, if you have hummets in your possession, it's symbolic of the fact that that little bit of lack of imuna, right We get rid of every speck because even for those of us who believe, we cannot help but be affected by the atheism around us, by the world that says everything's random. By the world that says, don't get so excited about that, you know, there's no message here for you. It was random. As opposed to hashkachat prati, where we say, you know, everything that happens is for a reason, whether it's nationally, whether it's in the news, or whether it's in our own lives, and we're meant to learn from it, grow from it, and Ask Hashem, what is it that you want us to change because of it? What can we do better? How can we be better? So matzah is the opposite of this process that just happens on its own. Matzah is actually process, right? Because matzah, from the second the water touches the flour, if you've ever been to a matzah bakery, it is incredible to watch. How quickly they work. I mean, forget about 18 minutes. They've got the whole thing done in four or five minutes. They take the dough. They pour somebody else, pours in the water. These women, these men with big muscles start kneading it. They throw it out to all of these women who are at this long table with a rolling pin. Those women are rolling and muttering to Hillam under their breasts the whole time. And then within seconds, they've got those flat little pancakes into the oven and baking. Well, first they have to put the holes in them, right? And then they're in, and everything is about process and hard work and the idea that Hashem is involved in the world. He has his fingerprints on everything. And it's not about that things just happen. And if you leave matzah, if you leave this dough and water alone for one second,
1: Sorry, there's not one second when the matzah is left alone because otherwise what happens is it will rise on its own. So matzah really represents Hashem. And chametz represents that which is anti-God. And Yisuiah's Mitzrayim is the event whose whole essence Is
0: the concept of hashkacha pratit, of divine intervention. You're not allowed to think that the exodus just happened, right? But it just happened that the blood turned into water, but rather Hashem was causing everything to happen. The blood turned into water, the frogs jumped into the ovens, which doesn't make sense. They literally committed suicide, right? The hail had ice and fire in it. It was made of fire and water, which obviously cannot live together. Only Hashem can do that. When it hit the ground, it turned into fire. There was a darkness that wasn't just a regular darkness, but a darkness where people couldn't move. Ayam, the sea was split, not in a natural way. And Hashem was showing the Jewish people, there's no such thing as nature. I can break nature. I am nature. And this is the message of Pesach. So the matzah is in memory of eating the matzah. But the idea of having no chametz is the idea of knowing that Hashem is in control of everything. Now, when you think about that dough that rises and gets bigger and bigger, that turns into chametz, the only thing that really makes it different between the matzah and the chametz is air, right? It's just the air that causes it to rise. I mean, obviously it's a chemical reaction, but the only thing that's in there that's not in the matzah is air. And that is the satan. The satan is the illusion that there's something other than Hashem. But the truth of the matter is that there's nothing really there. It's just air. It's just illusion. And so what we're supposed to be teaching our children on Seder night, more than anything else, is this concept of hashkacha pratit, right? That there's a HP, right? Higher power. There's a higher power that runs everything. And that's the message of the Seder that we want to give over and we want our children to walk away with. That nothing happens on its own. Matzah has to be watched every second because Hashem is involved in his world every second. And that's what we have to tell our children. And we also have to teach them. It says, the saor shabisa, The satan is called the sour part of the dough. Saor means sour. And what Rabbi Wallerstein extracts from this idea is also when we put, our values in the wrong place. This is Hametz, right? When we teach our children that money, power, fame, these are the important things in life. But the truth is, is these are just air. This is just the dough that rises and gives the illusion of grandeur, of, of, of success. But the true success is found in the matzah. just was thinking of a story that i was actually uh telling somebody the other day i'm sure many of you have heard of uri zoar those israelis on maybe you're too young ravit but um uri zoar i like to say was like a woody allen robert redford uh all wrapped in one for the israeli public in his day he was a movie star an israeli movie star an incredible comedian as well and uh just had a lot of charisma and it turned out that this rabbi Uri Zohar became a very orthodox Jew. He actually lived in a very religious neighborhood in Jerusalem called Matisdorf. and they say that when he became religious the Israeli public was so distraught and so unbelieving that this famous movie star would become an orthodox Haredi no less Jew that buses and buses, loads of loads of Israelis would park outside of his home in this ultra-Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem to try and catch a glimpse of he and his wife to really believe that it was true. But I'm just giving you this preamble because there's a famous story that he told about how he became religious. He basically said that, you know, he spent much of his life climbing the ladder of success and he was very, very successful. He had everything that the Hamids promises or that we want in life. He had money, he had fame, and he had power. And he said he climbed this ladder to success with a few other of his friends who also actually became very, very successful in the music industry and in other business ventures. He said, what happened is he climbed to the top of the ladder together with these friends And he said, and they all looked out when they got to the top and they realized that there was nothing there. And he said that one of his friends jumped off. In other words, he committed suicide. And he said, he decided to start climbing down. And what he did is he climbed down that ladder And he said, and I started over at the bottom and climbed it again. And this time, of course, he climbed it with a spiritual sensibility, the concept of that true success is internal, is something that not people don't necessarily see, but that Hashem sees and that Hashem recognizes as true success And everything else are just trappings. You know, obviously Hashem gives us, God willing, he gives us what we need materially. And if some people have more and some people have less, it's part of their um, mission in this world to use it to get to where they can get to spiritually. But it's certainly not an end in itself. And it's not a value in itself. And so this again represents the Hametz the idea that it's puffed up and it's just air and there's nothing real, there's nothing that's um, substance, that has substance to it, like the matzah. Matzah again is always um, described as the bread of simplicity, the bread of humility, the bread where we get rid of our ego And allow a place for Hashem, right? This world isn't big enough for our ego and Hashem to exist, right? God says that wherever there's an arrogant person, he has to, so to speak, leave. Because there's no room for him, right? So this is the idea. Another way of describing the Satan or the Hametz is the Satan is like a bacteria, It's a bacteria. We know about bacterias with COVID and the pandemic. So we were only 70 people when we came into Mitzrayim. But when we left Mitzrayim, we were born. We were like a newborn baby. Born as a nation on Pesach night. Now we all know that the room has to be sterile when a baby is born. There can't be any germs near the baby, right? Um, you know, if the Mozates, uh, if a pacifier falls out of a baby's mouth, at least in the olden days, right, people would sterilize it, people would make sure it was a hundred percent clean. God forbid the baby should get any germ in its mouth. So it's the same with the Jewish people. We were like babies. We were like babies being born as a nation, and we needed to have a bacteria free environment. And again, that's the chametz. The chametz is the germ, the bacteria, the germ of atheism, the germ of doubt, Amalek is doubt, the germ that says, well, I don't know, it's a nice story, but you think it really happened? And it creeps in, and it's in nooks and crannies in all of us. And that's why the exercise of working to get rid of the chametz externally we always start with the external in Judaism. We don't start with the feelings and then the actions will come. But rather, there's an idea that the chitzonias, the outside, affects the inside. So when we're cleaning for Pesach, ladies, it's not just about, you know, oh, the drudgery of Pesach or the I hate Pesach. I heard another woman say that on Shabbos. I hate Pesach. She wasn't a firm woman. But, you know, unfortunately, it's got a bad rap. You know, but if we understand that the cleaning of the chametz is the cleaning out of ourselves, of all of those places within ourselves that we have these questions, we have this inability to believe wholeheartedly. We're lacking in our emuna, in our bitachon, and we want to be able to sit down at the seder and tell the story and believe it, and know this is the place where we were born and that Hashem has his fingerprints on everything to do with us as a nation and personally in each of our own lives. Okay. I think we're getting, okay. I'm going to end with a story. Oh, so let me just say the last thing. So on Pesach night, what we're trying to do is we're, we're reliving our, our birth. And we're trying to get back to the essence of the purity of believing in Hashem completely. Just like they understood at the time of their exodus. There was no question in anybody's mind that Hashem was running the world. That he was running nature. That he could change nature. So we have to get back on Seder night. We want to emerge from the Seder as total matzah with no hummates. With this purity of believing in Hashem completely as the one who runs the world, runs nature, and runs my life. And after seven days of eating matzah, only then can we bring the chametz back into
1: our life. Because then we can overcome it. Because we have that clarity of
0: mission and purpose and of who we are again. And of course, our emunah and bitachon has been strengthened. Okay, I'm going to end with a story about um, that Rav Zilberstein wrote in his book, Aleinu A true story of Hashkacha Pratis that will amaze you. Okay, there was a couple in Israel who had a baby with a heart that was on the wrong side. And it needed surgery right away. So they left Israel. They weren't a rich couple. They were a kodal couple. But they left Israel and they went to Germany. They traveled to Germany because there was supposed to be a brilliant surgeon there. So the surgeon told them, I will do the operation, but it's going to cost you a lot of money. So the couple went back home. They raised money, lots of it. And they finally came back to Germany to meet the doctor and to schedule the surgery. However, this doctor said to them, I'm so sorry, but I made a very big mistake. The money you brought is fine, but it's not enough because I forgot to mention that there's going to be a hospital fee and you're going to need another $100,000 more for me to be able to do the surgery. Now, this again was a poor Kolel man from B'nai B'rach who said to him, I don't know what to do. I, I can't come up with this money. And the doctor said, well, you know, you better figure it out quickly because I'm going on vacation in two days. And if you don't get this money together, I'm not going to be able to perform the surgery. Obviously, not a, not a Jewish doctor with a, with a, you know, a heart uh, that's going to forego this. But in the meantime, the secretary of this doctor was there, and she heard what was going on, and she felt very, very badly for this couple, and she said to them, "You know what? I see that you're Jewish, and." I want you to know there's a very famous German man. I think, I think German Jewish man who's extremely charitable and rich and you should go to him. Anyway, she gets them the information of where he is and this couple, or I think it was only the man actually, heads off to this man's house. He comes to this mansion a butler answers the door and says, who should I say is calling? And he says, tell him it's a younger man from Bnei Brak. You know, he figured he understands Yiddish because German and Yiddish are there. He's similar. It's a young man from Bnei Brak. So the butler comes back and he says, my master says he'll meet you in the den. So. This man, and and actually, he, he tells the butler his whole story. How you know he's got this sick son, and he's got to get this money together. And if he doesn't get it, he won't be able to get the operation. And he only has two days, and that's why he's here, etc. And he says to him, "Okay, you know this this my master says he will see you. He will see he will see you." So he comes into his study, and before he's even able to tell his story. The master, this rich German Jewish man, hands him a manila envelope and he's shocked. He says, wait, you didn't even hear my story. And he says, it's okay, you know, here it is. And he gives him, he opens up the envelope after, you know, right there or after he leaves and inside the envelope is hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so he obviously has the money, they do the operation, it's very successful. And when he's back in Eretz Yisrael, a few months later, and his son is doing well, he makes a sudas hodaa. He makes a special meal of thanksgiving to Hashem, and he tells the whole story. And he's, you know, very, very happy, and it's a real kiddush Hashem, and showing how incredible Hashem is. And everybody wants to know what happened. Meanwhile, there's a man in the back of the shul, and he says, at the end of the story, he says, wait a second, that was my money that was my hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't for you. It was for me. Anyway, it turns out that this man was a Rosh yeshiva, and he'd been working for years on this German millionaire billionaire to give him at least a hundred thousand dollars towards his yeshiva. And he says to this guy, this man, who's having the Sudas uh, Hoda'a, this Thanksgiving feast, he says, my name is Rav Jungerman from Bnei Anyway, it turns out that this Rav Jungerman had finally convinced this German guy to give him the $100,000. And he had been in Germany the same day that this man went to this guy's house and said, tell him Jungerman is here. Okay. remember the beginning of the of the case and um, and basically what happened is he got stuck in an elevator. And he didn't make it. He didn't make it there on time. He he didn't make it there before this guy had already given one hundred thousand dollars to this other younger man. Anyway, um, they ended up having to have a court case. The younger man and rabbi younger man, because he said, I want the money back because the money belongs to me. And they went to Rachhaim Kanievsky, Zatzal, Zecher Tzadik Libracha, who was just who just died. And Rachhaim Kanyevsky ruled that the money belongs to this younger man, not the Rosh Shiva, but this one, and that you don't have to give it back. So the Rosh Shiva. Rabbi Jungerman sent a letter to the man in the Germany and said to him, you gave it to the wrong person. And a week later, he got back another check for $120,000. And the this man in Germany said, wow. He said, for three years, you worked to get this money from me. But Hashem wanted the money to go to this other guy. And I'm going to give you $120,000 because you must be a big tzaddik that this all transpired because of the money, the 100,000 that I was supposed to give you. Anyway, the idea of the story again, is that nothing is about luck. We don't say in Judaism, it was good luck, right? I was lucky. We say Baruch Hashem. We say, thank you Hashem for giving me from the smallest details of our lives, Thank you, Hashem. The whole cornerstone of Yitzchia Mitzrayim and our being born as a nation is one of gratitude and recognizing from whom everything comes. Everything. From the largest of the splitting of the Yom to the smallest of things that happen in our lives and we all have stories that others call coincidence, that some may call serendipity, but... If we want to grow our matzah and get rid of our hamates, we have to recognize that there isn't one detail or one moment of our life when Hashem is not present, interested, involved, and all from a place
1: of love. All from a place of complete, total love the good and the bad, all rachami, all good,
0: all good. Nothing ever happens on its own. Everything in life is matzah. We don't even know how many times we're saved from things without even knowing. Hashem is constantly watching you. Nothing ever happens on its own. So ladies, while you clean for your chametz, remember these lessons of Pesach. And when you sit down to your Seder, what you're giving over more than anything else by being there, by saying the Seder, by being there with your families, is this idea that nothing is random, everything has a purpose, and Hashem has a Seder, uh, an order, there's an order to the world, there's a reason for everything that happens in the world at large, and in my little olam katan as well. Okay, Chag Sameach, thank you for tuning in. And That's God man. Will, we'll meet again after Pesach. I hope you enjoyed that.
1: It was a great class.
0: Thanks, Javala. Terry here. Thanks, guys. Love thank, you. Thank, you thank you. Thank you for joining. to everybody. I love, love your speak. background. And Renee and Arlene. What's Shavua my background? God. Oh, thank you. I used to have those.
1: What? Divor, Which ones?
0: Ca- the kitchen cabinets. Yes. The kitchen cabinets at the Solimar. Oh, I'm you selling. did? Yeah. Oh, you know I'm in the Solimar. Hey, Terry, how did you know? I can tell <laughs> by the cabinets. Oh, look at that. I had them until I renovated, I had those. They're very nice. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, Baruch Hashem. I'm in Florida, ladies, so I'm sending you oh, lots wow. of sunshine. Enjoy. I'm, I'm sending nice. you sunshine Best and warm, of warm feelings yes. of wow. love. Okay. Bye take care happy cleaning happy cleaning everybody get there in one piece (laughs) (laughs) Karen Levy is that Karen Buckstein really I'm I'm, what sorry what's your maiden name oh you're Karen Levy hi yes I never saw you before thank you for joining
1: (laughs) thank you thank you for the class it was really nice thank you I I listened to it with my kids so it was amazing
0: oh thank you so much I'm so glad you did that it's a family affair Laura. Okay, yes. Can you just repeat Rabbi Wallerstein's name again, please? Yeah. Yeah. His name. Okay. Zaharya. Yeah. Shimon. Yep. A Kohain. Then yep. it's it it said Sriel, but I don't know. That's a funny name. Sriel is it?
1: probably Yisrael. It's just oh, a variation for, for of Yisrael. A woman?
0: Oh yeah. Okay, so it's Sriel then.
1: Oh, I oh right, his mother. Yeah, it's his mother. I mean, I thought it would be Cyril. Maybe someone uh-huh. typed it typed it wrong. It's a good question. Um, I don't know. Anyway, whatever what? it is,
0: you should have a rufua. Yeah,
1: rufua
0: Thank you for Maybe. coming. Thank uh, you for joining, Toby. It's always yeah. That.
1: It's my pleasure. I think you. Okay. It's so wonderful to hear you.
0: Teaching.
1: I have Cyril. Thank
0: you. You have Cyril? Yeah, that makes more sense. Thanks, Rhonda. We can count on you, Rhonda. Yeah. Thank you, Rhonda. You're welcome. Nice to see you, Rhonda, or not see you, <laughs> but nice, nice to know you're there, Rhonda. <laughs> hi, Toba. All right. Whoever Toba is. Hi. hi. <laughs> oh, hi. I like Thank to you, see you. your face. <laughs> Come <laughs> on. <laughs> Are your kids going
1: I'm
0: to be with you, Rhonda? Your kids with you? Okay. Actually, my daughter's staying in Israel, and I'm not sure what my son is doing. He's on his way to Florida. I hear. Okay. So hopefully, he'll be back for Pesach. <laughs> That'll be good. Yeah. All right. We'll have a wonderful Pesach. Yeah, and we'll see you after it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. okay. okay.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Pesach. Amen. Amen. Freilachen. That's right.